Well, this morning, it's the first Sunday of December, which means everything is Christmas now, right? That's what that means. And so uh, this month, we're actually going to be having kind of a mini-series talking about Christmas. And our our series is called Tis the Season. And, And specifically this morning, it is Tis the Season for a Savior. Tis the Season for a Savior. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3 today. We're, we're going to be kind of talking about and bouncing around uh, Scripture in not necessarily the most traditional of ways. And, and did you know that Jesus is talked about in Genesis? Did you know that? Anybody know that? Now you know, right? And so Jesus is talked about in Genesis, specifically this passage. And so we're going to talk about this. And then next week we're going to talk about Jesus in, in Revelation. Because Jesus is also in Revelation. Not, not Jesus coming back on the white horse. Jesus, the baby Jesus in a manger, is in Revelation. And so we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus through the lens of Revelation uh, next week. But this week we're talking about uh, Jesus... Uh, many, many years before he was ever born in Genesis chapter 3. So if you would stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. Starting in verse 14. The word of the Lord says this, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Father, thank you. Thank you for today. God, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. God, thank you that you are so good to us. Father, thank you that you are moving in our midst. Lord, I pray, God, that those who would have an ear, let them hear the declaration of your word today. That it would not be my words spoken, but yours spoken through me. All to the glory and honor of you, Father. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So as we start off this, this month, right, the, the, the season just kind of starts getting hyped up, right? And I'm sure some of you guys, just show of hands, who's like, you've had your Christmas tree up like the last like three weeks, like before Thanksgiving, like you're just one of those people, okay? Great. Wonderful. Uh, so congratulations. It's a little weird. But that's okay. That's all right. It's okay. Uh, I, I am one of those people that I like to wait till after Thanksgiving. I, even if it's the day after Thanksgiving, it's still after Thanksgiving. Uh, Carly, however, uh, is not that way. She would rather just leave the tree up all year round because she loves Christmas. And so uh, we, we kind of had to do it like like three days before Thanksgiving is when we put up our tree. So we, we met in the middle there. We compromised uh, a little bit. And so, uh, but our tree is up and everything is, you know, our, our home is, is decorated. We've got lights on the front and, and all that fun stuff, right? And, and, and we can do all these things and we get ready for the season. And, and sometimes we miss the whole point of the season. And, and this is that cliched term, right? Jesus is the reason for the season, Right? But at the same time, that is one of the most true statements 
ever made about Christmas. That the whole point of Christmas, the whole point of us celebrating and getting together is to celebrate the birth of Christ. That we're looking and we're, we're saying, man, th- this is an incredible thing that's worth celebrating. The birth of a Savior. The birth of a Redeemer. The one who has come to save the world. This is Christ. In this passage, Scripture is talking to us, and God, this is after the fall of man, and so Eve and Adam have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And as they've eaten, they, they heard, it says that they hear the Lord starting to walk through the garden, and they went and hid. And as they were hiding, God found them, and God asked them questions and said, well, why are you hiding from me? And, and, and Adam says, well, we were naked and we were afraid. And, and, and then God answers and says, who said that you were naked? And then God begins to ask questions of Adam and Eve. And Adam says, well, that woman that you gave me, you know, she, she just, she gave me this fruit and I ate of it. And I, I don't know what happened. And, and then God turns to Eve and says, what, what's this fruit that you ate? And Eve said, well, the, that serpent over there, they, they, the serpent deceived me. And then God realizing and, and seeing, not realizing, he knew what was going on anyway. He just asked them questions, right? God, sitting there and hearing all of this, he begins to, because sin had entered the world now, through the disobedience of Adam and Eve, he now begins to give consequences for sin. And the consequence, he, he first turns and gives a consequence, not to Adam or to Eve, but the first person, the first entity that he gives consequence to is the serpent. And we see here that the serpent, and, and later on we'll see this in Revelation and other, other New Testamental passages, but we see that the serpent is, is indeed uh, Satan or the deceiver, the enemy. So someone that is being, that is the, the evil one. The one that is leading a rebellion against God and the host of heaven. And so the serpent is, God turns to the serpent and, and gives this consequence and gives this judgment. And this judgment is, is what we call this, uh, verse 15 specifically, is what we call the proto-euangelion. Or the, the before, the pre-gospel. That's what that's called. And so this is, this is the first promise that we see of a Savior. This is the first promise that we see of the gospel actually coming and being promised. It's important for us to know that, that as this consequence is being given, that the sovereignty of God is never in question here when he gives these consequences. It's really, really important for us to know, and we'll go through this passage and unpack it a little bit more, but, but it's really, really important for us to know that Adam and Eve's sin did not change God's power. We, we, we need to understand that first and foremost, that God is still God. Right? Even, even God says, well, well they, they can think like us now. They'll, they'll become like us. And, and he's speaking specifically about Adam and Eve. And, and they cast them out of the Garden of Eden in the, in the place of perfection because they've lost that perfection through their sin. But it's very important for us that the consequences and, and the 
the actions of Adam and Eve in this passage and in the beginning of time, this, this was not something that hinders or dampens the power of God. That this is, there is sovereignty of God still being seen and still being used. And they're being justly punished by that sovereign power. Specifically in this passage, I think there's, there's a few observations that can be made uh, from this consequence, specifically to the serpent. So we're just going to be really focusing on these first, the, these two verses. We're not going to focus on the entirety of uh, the fall and the consequences of the fall, um, but we're going to specifically talk about these two passages. And I think there's a few things that we can, we can glean or we can see from these. The first one is, is it's given to the serpent. This, this consequence is given solely to the serpent without any questioning of the serpent. There's questioning that is made towards Adam and there's questioning that is made towards Eve. And he's asking all of these questions really in a way for them to understand the root of the problem. And the root of the problem was that the enemy like, t- took them and pushed them into temptation and they fell in sin because the enemy was there. Scripture tells us that, that the enemy prowls around and roars like a, like a hungry lion, right? Seeking whom he may devour. Now the enemy is, is constant, not, not saying that he's lurking around every single corner, but he's, but he's constantly waiting for us to trip up. He's constantly waiting for us to, to, to be in a, in a low place where we can be tempted and fall. And then when we fall into that temptation, he's, he's very quick to make sure that we feel guilt because of that. And we don't tell anybody. We don't confess it. We, we continue to, to kind of shut it up and, and hide it. That's what Adam and Eve did. They, they sinned, and their first thing was, I'm ashamed because I'm naked, and so I go and hide from God. And so that's the first thing that we see. There's no question given. God questions Adam and Eve but never questions the serp- serpent. And the reason is, is because the serpent, again, is come to who we know as the enemy, Satan. You can see this in Romans 16, 20. This is the serpent, the enemy. And so that's really important for us because the, the line of questioning here is, is both directing towards the root of the issue, which is, Satan, but also the line of questioning here is also uh, this understanding of redemption. The serpent here cannot be redeemed. That Satan cannot be redeemed. His choice was made. And that was to rebel. The second observation is, uh, is this where he says, because you've done this, look at this in verse 14 if we could. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. This crawling that's, that's put here on the serpent, uh, I think sometimes we, we think that you know, snakes at one time had legs. And, and there are some, some theologians and some scholars that believe that yes, they did, and then this really, in, in my opinion, ends up becoming one of those tall tales, like how the leopard got its spots or how the zebra got its stripes. Instead, I, I, what I think is going on here specifically in this passage and specifically for this, uh, for this curse or this consequence 
is that it's a symbolic understanding that you will be low. That you will be below every single livestock. You will be below every single other animal. That because you, the serpent, you, you, will, you will slither on the ground. You will be low. This is the significance changing, not necessarily the reality of it. Much like you, you see this in Genesis chapter 9 with the rainbow. The rainbow, the, the significance of the rainbow changes. Why? Because the significance of the rainbow now is that, is that God will no longer flood the earth. He's not going to destroy the, the earth that way with the rainbow. And so the significance of the serpent is changed. Where it's gone from this, this individual that is possibly cunning and smart. Like, like what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. You must be as cunning as serpents and as innocent as doves. This understanding that a serpent is, is cunning and smart and intellectual. And now he, he's beginning to change that understanding of what the serpent is. God is giving giving another significance, saying that you are cursed to become insignificant and despised. And then the third that we see, and I think is the most important here, is we see this in verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. See, understanding here that the defeat of the enemy... Like th this is talking about specifically the enemy's defeat. This is talking about how, th th again, this is the offspring of the woman, the seed of the woman. This is Jesus. That is, it's talking about this Savior, this Redeemer that's going to come. And as the Savior and this Redeemer comes, the, the, he will crush the head of the snake, even though he, he'll be bit on the heel, right? It'll strike its heel. It'll... it'll, it'll create and, and, and take a blow at Christ, but in the end will end up being defeated. That's what happened on the cross, right? The strike for, for an, a moment, for three days, death thought it won, but it didn't. Struck the heel, but the head of the serpent was crushed. It's also very important to understand this, that this, is, this still is a consequence given to the serpent. This still is the judgment given to the serpent. This is not something that is talked to the woman. God is not saying, your seed will crush the head of the serpent. He's saying, the seed of the woman will crush your head. There's a, there's a difference there, and it's very significant. Why? Because, because the salvation of man is not directly linked to the power of man. Here we, we see this. It's the understanding that the defeat of the enemy is not coming from the power of the woman, but from the power of God. Redemption is about God's rule as much as it is about man's need. Redemption is about God's rule as much as it is about man's need. It's so important that we, that we get this, that we understand this, that, that it's not by power, by our own power, by the power of, of man that we are saved. It's only by the power of God. And the consequence given is specifically given to the serpent for, for us to understand that. Ezekiel 36, 22 says, Therefore, Say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake 
of my holy name. God is talking about the restoration of Israel here. He's saying this. Why? It's, it's not for your sake that I'm going to redeem you. It's not for your sake that I'm going to save you. It's for my sake. It's for me. That I'm going to save you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to provide a savior for you. For my holy name. You need it. We all need it. Yes. But it's for my holy name that I'm doing it. It says the serpent will be bruised. Right, bruise the heel, but inevitably be destroyed. It's important for us to know not just the, the seed or, or the offspring of, of the woman. Yes, this is Jesus. But also I think you can take it a step further. And I, I think that um, certain biblical scholars, uh, I think from my study, I think biblical scholars would agree that this isn't just Jesus. This is also the church. That the church will crush the head of the enemy. That it's not just, again, this is not just Jesus. Yes, this is the first time we see Jesus. We see a need for a Savior. We see a promise for a Savior. But we also see this understanding of the seed of the woman, the, the, the offspring of the woman. That's all of us. Not just Christ, but all of us. And because of Christ, we now as the church have victory over the enemy. This is Christmas. This is the promise that we have. This is the Savior. This is the Redeemer. This is Jesus. This is Christmas. That's what this is all about. That's what this, this as, we're, as we're moving forward and putting up trees and, and all of these things, that's what it's all about. This understanding of our need, our deep need for a Savior. And so the question that I have for all of us in here is, are you in need of a Savior? The answer to that question should be very, very easy. The answer to that question is yes. Whether you've followed Christ for a long time, the answer is yes, or you don't have a relationship with him, the answer is yes. We will always have a need for a Savior. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We need a savior. Friend, brother, sister, every single one of you in this room, all of us, we are in desperate need of a savior. And so we're in such great need of a savior. And, and if we read this passage with the understanding that, that Jesus is coming, And now we know that through the lens of Christ, through the lens of the New Testament, that Jesus has come, that Jesus lived a perfect life, that Jesus died on the cross, blood shed for us, where it should have been our blood, body broken for us, when it should have been our bodies broken. And he died on the cross, was buried, and three days later rose again, beating death, hell, in the grave. Coming back so that we could live. 
In light of all of that, the need for a Savior, the question is, is He enough? Is Jesus enough? You know, this is such a simple idea. But this is the one thing that creates the most life change in anybody's life. Is Jesus enough? Is he enough? Is he enough in your, in your life as you're going through the temptations of your life? Look, is he enough? Is he enough to overcome those things? And, and, hear, and hear me, I'm not bad-mouthing or bashing, uh, counseling. I'm not bad-mouthing or bashing uh, AA groups or, or, or support groups or any of those things. Those are good, healthy things. But if they're done without Jesus... They don't matter. It's good to be surrounded by believers. It's good to, to, have, peop- to have shoulders to cry on. It's good for those things. That, that, that's such a good thing. But if our problems aren't first taken to the cross... If our brokenness isn't first given to Jesus, then we will remain broken with problems. That's what Christmas is all about. We cannot look at the manger and not see the cross. We are in desperate need of a Savior. And God, his power and sovereignty provided one. And because of that Savior, because of that manger, because of that cross, we're all victorious. Whatever it is you're going through, we're just going to have a moment. Worship team, you can come forward. We're just going to have a moment and in the presence of the Lord. I felt the presence of the Lord heavy during worship today. We were hungry. We were hungry for the Lord. And this morning, that's all we're going to do. We're going to back into the song, Christ is Enough. Why? Because, is he enough? But I really want us today, as we look forward to Christmas and everything that that brings, as we see this holiday season, the final few days of the holiday season, the question remains, is Jesus enough?